bless this home. This omen has been shown in unknown numbers of abodes on unknown hundreds of tokens. From the painted slogan hung above the oaken mantle where every night the husband divorces his attention from his maritals by surfing channels in the den alone next to the wooden sign that shows bless this home. To the teal and maroon painted shell displayed neatly on a bathroom shelf where every morning the wife commits adultery by herself as she puts on makeup up in the mirror and dreams of the husband she might have known if her cheeks didn't need as much rouge and her stomach wasn't lacking in tone. So she lets out a groan next to her daughter's art project that tolls bless this home. To the son addicted to the pornography of his remote controlled alternate reality. To the daughter suffering from child abuse as her parents raise her allowance which she uses to use to the family experiencing domestic violence unseen by unclosed eyelids because it lies dormant underneath the surface as each member just smiles and ignores it to the children who feel like orphans in a home where both parents are in person but they come in second to their adopted children of this success and that promotion our homes are broken and yet this benediction keeps on getting spoken like an incantation we hope changes our families even though we won't. God, bless this home for its brick and stone are just as pristine as its paint and yard, but those who inhabit it don't know what it means to be pure at heart. Our homes are whitewashed tombs. The outside is beautiful while the inside is dead. Just like our dwellings and cars elude that our bank accounts are plentiful, that we are drowning in debt. We want to be comforted, but we don't want to mourn. We want to be shown mercy, but we don't want to do the chore. We want the kingdom, but we don't want to be poor. We want to see God, but we don't want to be pure. We want righteousness, but we hate it when our stomachs snore. In short, we want to be blessed, but we don't want to be transformed. But even if we were able to perform all the good deeds found in the words of that mountaintop sermon, we'd still find ourselves empty and our families disturbed because the righteousness we need cannot be earned. But we keep on trying to deserve these blessings at every turn. You see, we look to ourselves when we look at the Beatitudes, thinking the solution to be attitudes. But this righteousness we hunger for isn't up to our aptitude. For no one is righteous and neither me nor you can live up to that exactitude. For we were doomed to hell and the sin and even good deeds of our solitude. So the righteousness we thirst for must come from beyond our fortitude. And that's why God took on flesh and became our substitute. Our lackings plentitude, our propitiated rectitude, our punishments recruit, our damnations preclude. That's the righteousness for which we are parched. That's the righteousness that delivers the destitute. That because of our sin's amplitude, God entered our altitude. Now that's a beatitude. So blessed is the home that knows they cannot do it alone. So they hunger and thirst for the righteousness that only Christ can bestow. Blessed is the home.
home that knows their purity must seep into their bones. So they set their divided hearts to glory and reflect the only purity ever shown. Blessed is the home that knows shackles and stones to be better than fitting in with Mr. and Mrs. Jones. So they fix their eyes on holiness and persecution follows like a flower that inevitably blooms out of a seed that was sown. For no matter our shortcomings, we know that you've shown that God Almighty through his son has blessed this home. Mom, that one family is so strict. They aren't even allowed to say, hey, watch your mouth. Church, church, church. All they do is go to church. Can't they miss just once? They won't go to the movie because they say there's bad stuff in it. What is wrong with them? We know people make fun of our family, but we can't worry about what people think. We're more concerned about what God thinks. Today, we're wrapping up our series. It's called Bless This Home, and I'm so glad that you're with us. I'm glad for those of you who have sort of joined us along the way and have been part of this. What we've been doing is looking at the teachings of Jesus from a spot in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, and this section is called the Beatitudes. It's kind of a famous section, and this is where Jeevas, Jeevas, <laughs> Simpsons just arrived. This is where Jesus gave us eight different qualities of uh, behaviors or ways that we could pursue that if you, you, this is what you do to be blessed. Eight different ones of those. And although Jesus, was, I can't get that out of my head now. <laughs> although Jesus was, uh, he was talking to everybody when, when he was given these for the purpose of this study, this series, we've been trying to target those beatitudes onto us as families, whether we are currently in managing our own family, we're part of another family, we, we, we speak into somebody else's family, we're planning for a family, we all have a family connection somehow, and we've been trying to focus those blessings into our homes so that we would, in fact, bless this home. That's what we're asking that God would do for us. So, because the reality is, as we look around, we find so many homes, so many places where the people in are not saying Man, we are so blessed. We've got a blessed marriage. Their kids, their kids are so blessed. We don't say stuff like that. We don't identify it. What we see is the conflict. So what we're doing is we're asking God to teach us to live according to his word so that he would bless our homes. And we've had a key thought over all these weeks that we keep coming up with, and it's a paradigm shift trying to change the way that we think about faith in our families. We're not just a Christian home, but what are we? Christ-centered family. Now, some of you might be new. You haven't heard this before, and you're saying, so what's the difference? What's the difference between a Christian home and a Christ-centered family? And unfortunately today, as many of you know, the word Christian doesn't mean what it used to mean. There are tons and tons of people who, if you said, hey, when, when it comes to faith, what are you? What do you do? And they would say, uh, well, I, I guess I'm a Christian. I don't think I'm anything else, so I must be a Christian. And there's, there's been a, part, a big part of our population who would fall into a category that we could call cultural Christians. 
we are Christians in name only. There's no clear evidence to show who they are. So if, though, we take on a different title, not just calling ourselves a Christian family, we pick up a different title, Christ-centered family, and we take it seriously, and we say that we're not just a Christian home in this kind of cultural sense, but that we are Christ-centered in all that we do. In other words, Jesus isn't just a convenient part of our life, the guy that we call on when we need something, the guy we go to visit at Easter or whenever else we can find time to go to church. But if he's not just part of our lives, but truly the center of our lives, then there will be evidence to those who look on. Our values will be different. The way we raise our children will be different. The way we use our resources, our time, and our money, well, they'll all be different. The way we treat people will be different because Jesus isn't just part of our lives, but he is our lives. We are Christ-centered in what we do. Now, our key thought for today, so if you're taking notes, this is like a highlight, write this one down, um, is this, and it's, it's so fun today. Today, it's just all fun. Here is the key thought for today. If you are a Christ-centered family, you will be persecuted. Yeah, fantastic. So glad I got up in the morning to come to church for that. I was hoping for a little bit of a feel-good, maybe pop me up a little bit. How are we going to deal with this? But this is the truth. If you go back to week one, and you remember, we talked, um, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And if you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness in an unrighteous world, people are going to laugh at you. They're going to mock you. They will try to discourage you. They don't want you on their team because they want to cut corners. They want to dodge the law. And you are bad for their personal agendas. Week two, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. If you're trying to live with a pure heart in a world that idolizes impurity and demands freedom from any guidance, people are going to mock you. Week three, blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. Tell them a Christian, and then meet the person who wants to put you to the test to see if you'll do what Jesus said you're supposed to do. And so if they strike you on one cheek, they want you to turn the other cheek so they can do it again. And maybe they do that in front of a group just to mock you. If you're going to go the extra mile, if you're going to forgive that stuff that seems unforgivable, Many people, they just don't have a category for that. They just say, you're weird. What's wrong with you? You're a doormat. What you're saying is just stupid. Why don't you just behave like everyone else does? That stuff's fine at church, okay? But that stuff, it just doesn't work in this real world. And they mock you. They belittle you. And Jesus said very clearly in the eighth and final beatitude, Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's what he said, and he goes on. It sounds very, very unusual to us. 
But again, that's why it's important for me to say it's not what I'm saying. I'm not advocating. I'm informing. This is what Jesus said. If we're going to follow Jesus, then we have to figure out what this means for us. He said, blessed are you when people insult you, when they persecute you, when they say falsely all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This section, the Beatitudes, it both begins and ends with an emphasis on the kingdom of heaven. The ideas contained within that are not of this kingdom. Those ideas are not of this world. They are from another kingdom. And they have another, a different king. And we say, yeah, you're right. Because they all seem wacko. They seem convoluted. They seem like they came from a twisted mind. How can you call these things blessed? No one else thinks that they are. They all seem upside down. Exactly. That's exactly what they are. Jesus is regularly teaching about or describing in story or word pictures this upside down kingdom. A way that must be revealed by the Spirit. We learn about the idea of truth being hidden by a veil. That we are blind and our eyes need to be opened. That we are living in darkness and that we are requiring the light. So the Apostle Paul he teaches us to not conform to the pattern of this world. But the truth is, that is what we long to do so much of the time. We long to conform to the pattern of this world. It all just makes sense. It all just seems easier. And Jesus says often, this stuff, it doesn't make sense to us in our time-conscious, me-first, efficiency-minded, cost-effective selves. But to do that, to conform to the pattern of the world, that is the wide road, the wide road that leads to sin, to isolation, to death, and to destruction. It just doesn't look like that from the outside. But if you've walked along the road, you find how much these things become true. They don't look bad when you start, but then you try to stop. So that is why we pray. God, help me to see as you see so that I can do as you say. Because without seeing as God sees, doing what he says seems really, really hard. And it seems confusing. Now, okay, so some of you may say, okay, how, what exactly does this mean? Blessed are you when you're persecuted for right living, for doing the right thing. And so you might think, well, obviously, Graham, you're going to be persecuted because you're a preacher and you're kind of odd. And maybe more odd than preacher. So it's, you got it coming to you. you. There's no way for you to avoid it. But the reality is you don't have to be a preacher to be persecuted. The very, very first illustration of persecution in the Bible goes way, way, way back to the very beginning. So far back that you think to yourself there, there were not enough people around to actually get into conflict with. But don't worry, as a species, we have an incredible giftedness in finding conflict. We can find it everywhere. 
So we go back to the story of Cain and Abel. And the problem didn't arise here because Abel was preaching to Cain. There was no long-winded, judgmental, condemning sermon to endure for Cain. There was nothing like that. The reason Cain was angry at Abel is because Abel was living the right way. He was doing what was right before God, and Cain wasn't. And his own sin convicted him, and he felt like, I'm angry, I'm mad at myself, and he lashed out, and he killed his own brother. Not because his brother did anything wrong, but because he compared himself to his brother and found himself wanting. He was convicted by Abel's right living. And when you're a Christ-centered family, you will have different values. They just show up in different ways and in different places. And sometimes you can see a potential conflict coming. And other times, it can catch you completely off guard. So maybe you're a teenager or, or a young adult or, or an older adult, and, and you think, I'm going to honor God with my sexual purity. I'm not going to have sex until I'm married. And all your friends are like, whoa, you're so lame. Be free. Why would you do that? That's the stupidest thing. Why would you give that up? Who would do that? Why? You're such a prude. Attack and label. Anger and name calling. It's a very common strategy both now and throughout history. And they might very well make fun of you. But blessed are you when people persecute you for righteousness sake. Maybe you're not going to go to certain movies that all of your friends are going to go to. Why? Well, because there's a little bit of poop in the brownies, right? Who remembers that? Poop in the brownies. Go back to week two, listen to blessed are the pure in heart. And you decide, I'm not going to do this even though everybody else is. And they make fun of you. They exclude you. You just don't get invited. Or maybe you say, uh, I'm not going to put my kid, my child, in this sports league. And I say, well, why not? Well, because they play games when we go to church. Oh my goodness, how can you put church before the future of your four-year-old? Maybe church is a better investment in your four-year-old's future. Let them make fun of you. Maybe you're seeking God and, and you're trying to serve God and things, they aren't going right in your life. And people say, where's your God now? Where's God in all this? Why aren't things going right in your life? Doesn't your God love you? Why would he do that to you? He must not love you, or he must not be powerful enough to actually do anything about it. What made you think that any God could actually love you? And you recognize that things might not be going right in your life, not because you're doing something wrong, but they may not be going right in your life because you're doing what is right. And there's spiritual opposition. If you are Christ-centered in your family, you will be persecuted for your faith. So that raises the question then, how do we prepare our families for persecution? 
How do we prepare them to have roots in their faith in Christ so that they can handle the inevitable persecution that will come? And let me just give you three different things that will be here that our goal is to help to build your faith. Remember at at Into One, our goal is to present to you our five faith catalysts. And we can't give you faith, but we can try and help you to identify opportunities where you have the opportunity for faith to grow in you and your faith can develop. So how do we prepare our families? Number one, we're going to teach them to expect it. We're going to teach them to expect persecution. So the Apostle Paul, he told his buddy, his protege, his, uh, the, the guy that he was mentoring, young Timothy, a new pastor uh, at a church, he said to him in 2 Timothy, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be what? Everybody. What will be? That person will be persecuted. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If your family is Christ-centered, in some way you will be different. And people won't always understand. And they very likely will criticize you. And you won't be different like everybody else. You'll be different in your unique way. Because you're seeking God and you're hearing from His Spirit and how He would lead you forward. That's not going to be the same way for everybody. So maybe it's at like a Thanksgiving dinner and and everyone around the table is kind of taking jabs at you because you want to pray over the Thanksgiving meal. Maybe people aren't going to invite you to certain parties because you sort of ruin the party just by being there. They may make fun of you when you're doing your your version Bible reading, maybe at school or at work. Whatever it might be, you, you, you can open the door to people making fun of you and you just expect it. Don't be shocked by it. It's not a surprise. It's part of following Christ. You will do something somewhere, and then it will seem like everybody wants to criticize. Family members don't understand. Friends don't understand. And honestly, the persecution in this country has been relatively light, but it is increasing. There is a growing hostility towards Christianity and Christ's values, and you need to stand up, to learn to stand strong in your beliefs with love. And you need to teach your children how to stand strong in their beliefs with love because the heat is going to increase. We need to have our roots planted deeply, roots deeply planted into Christ and not into a political or a religious system. Jesus said it really clearly in the Gospel of John, chapter 15. He said, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. And this is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. We teach our families to expect it. Be ready so that you might respond well. The response is a key part of your faith development and your life in Christ. So the second thing you teach them to do, if you're taking notes, we teach them to endure it. We teach them to endure persecution. 
Paul, again, writing to people in, in, a, in a volatile time. He wrote to his friends in the city of Corinth. And this is uh, 1 Corinthians 4. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. Consider what's happening in the world as he's writing this. Consider the world that existed at that time. This ties back also to last week when we talked about being, excuse me, when we talked about being peacemakers. Persecution was rampant and it was severe. Beatings, arrests, property seizures, executions, all were common. And there were many in Jerusalem. There were many throughout all of Israel. There were many throughout the entire Roman Empire that had embraced the spirit of revolt. And they took to revolting behaviors. And that's true in both senses of the word. They justified their actions by saying, look at my goal. They said the ends will justify the means. The means are just the ends in beginning form. This is not the attitude of Christ. And I would encourage you, read Philippians chapter 2. It's a beautiful passage. It's not too long. Let it guide you towards the attitude of Christ. But now consider um, Hollywood and what, what they have produced recently. They've uh, produced movies like Hacksaw Ridge and Silence and Selma and Unbroken to end all wars. And going back a little farther, chariots of fire. But honestly, the list goes on and on and on. And they show admiration for Christians and their ability to forgive, to overcome adversity, to bear up under, and to come through. They delight in those stories. They, they honor our lifestyle when it looks like that. The problem that they have is people spouting judgment behaving hypocritically. And we should have a problem with that as well. And may I remind you respectfully, the persecution that we endure in this country is incredibly light compared to what goes on around the world right now. And there are those in churches, in, in countries where our, our ministry partners serve. In Thailand, where Derek and Bonnie Burnett are, they actually just returned to Canada and they're, they're doing a year of home service now we're going to see them for sure in February and maybe before. Lisa Brown, who was here with us in February and has since gone on to a country where to mention the name of Jesus is illegal. That's why we don't say the country that she's in. Christ followers there confess their faith in Christ and their families disown them. And when you faithfully endure, it's amazing what happens. God does something inside of you. And when you endure persecution, your spiritual roots grow deeper. When you endure persecution, it's possible that your intimacy with Christ increases and your spiritual um, resolve is strengthened. You are met on this road trip by the Spirit of God who encourages, empowers, ministers, and provides for you. So there was a time before into one, when I had a, quote, stable job with the salary and expenses and benefits and a fully functional organizational structure around me. 
And when I responded to God's leading me forward and I risked leaving, there was not a cheer that went up of people who were so thankful for God leading and speaking. There, there was criticism. There was a surprising harshness. And I found that there were a lot of Christians out there who believe that God is fine for worship services as long as you don't actually need Him to show up. As soon as the, quote, real needs of life appear, well, that's when we go back to the God that we trust in most. And that's money. Why we want to train you to not simply survive, but to thrive, you must choose who holds the crown in your life, God or money. And it is a constant battle. The view is that money is essential for living. And God and ministry, well, that's just something that you do. And we were being convinced of God's faithful provision. And in that time and before that time and during it, I longed for the assurance and my own personal story that, that real faith experience would have. I longed for a faith story. But people on the outside looked on with fear and they looked on with discouragement and they were worried because they had not had the prompting that I had. And God continued and continues to display his primacy as he opens doors and he provides for us beyond what we asked and even beyond what we thought possible. And in the beginning of the transition that led to the birth of Into One, I received many cold shoulders, many angry faces, some active defriending, and even harsh words. When I said that I wouldn't pursue a lawsuit to get what I deserve, I was told that I was a fool. There was not a long line of people who, who rallied to support us. But I was trying to listen to God and to be faithful to his calling on me. And God was faithful. And do you know what happened? Oh, he took my little bit of faith and he deepened it. My faith in Jesus, not just as my one day after I'm dead Savior, but my faith in Jesus as a this day Savior of my life deepened and it expanded. And the combination of unkind things and God's kind, gentle, faithful generosity solidified the decision. It helped me to understand that I wasn't living for the approval of others, but I was living for the approval of God. And it did something inside of me. I can't quantify it. I can't explain what it was like. But every time you walk through those doors back there and you're, and you're filled with the joy of God within you and it shows on your faces, or you walk in through those same doors and I can tell that you're bearing the burden of pain and the earnestness of needing a Savior today, my actions and my faith are vindicated. And you are a gift to me. And what little I have, I will willingly share with you to call you forward, to tell you the truth, to be a witness, to testify in the trial accusing that God doesn't exist or that he doesn't care or that he's not interested in being involved. If you, hadn't, if you haven't been persecuted in a while, 
I'm telling you, it's almost a disadvantage. And I would say that the fact that there is little persecution where we live puts us at a spiritual disadvantage because all through history, when the church is persecuted, she becomes stronger. There's an increased sense of unity and there's passion and there's boldness and it weeds out those who don't really mean it and it strengthens those who do and they become more effective. The prayers that we pray become more effective because we stop saying, God, protect me. God, keep me safe. And we change to God, give me boldness. Give me the courage to step out. Empower me to live in a way that actually makes a difference. No longer just keep me safe, but use me. And when your family stands together for Christ, not just, yeah, we're a Christian family, I think. You know, I guess, I guess we're not anything else, so we're Christian. But no, if you're Christ-centered, it draws you together. And when your family is persecuted, there's a sense of strength and identity for who God has called you to be. Here is one of the most interesting things, okay? If you want to write something down, the notes started there for you. When family identity is strong, peer pressure is weak. Where family identity is weak, peer pressure is strong. And that is so incredibly important. If you're a parent raising kids, or you're part of another family, or you're, you're part of a family in any way, you want to make things easier on your kids, give them a strong family identity where there is a deep, grounded spiritual identity, where we say we are Christ followers, we're going to be persecuted, that's okay. We are on a mission. We've got a calling. We are living for something higher than the lower things of this world. Then there's a strong family identity, and all the pressure that you or your kids face, it will not be as strong because you have a purpose. You have an identity. We have values. We are on mission. But when that's not there, when there's no real family identity, when you don't have a sense that you're on mission, that there's no particular purpose, there's no higher calling, there's no cause outside of personal pleasure fulfillment, well, when that's not there, the peer pressure is so much stronger because we don't really know who we are or whose we are. We're not just a Christian family in name only. We are Christ-centered, and it means something to us. He's the center of all that we do. Therefore, we tell our family, we're going to be persecuted. Expect it. And then when it comes, you endure it. But you don't just endure it. There's another word that I want to tell you, and that, that you teach your family this, and that is you embrace it. It's part of your identity. You thank God that you get to suffer in some small way like his son who gave it all for us. The Apostle Peter, he was talking to a group of Christians that were suffering and being persecuted beyond anything that our little safe world can imagine. And one of the things that they would do is they would take Christians who wouldn't renounce the name of Christ, who wouldn't denounce Jesus publicly, and they would put them in the center of a Colosseum, and they would fill that Colosseum with huge crowds. And then they would release lions who would physically devour those who would not walk away 
from their faith in Christ. Peter was talking to them when he wrote this. And here's what he said. I don't know if you're ready for this, but this is 1 Peter chapter 4. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Verse 16, so powerful. Jump down a little bit. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. The upside-down kingdom, because that doesn't make sense, right? And on the outside, you want to argue with that with everything in you and say it's ridiculous. God, help me to see as you see so that I can do as you say, and I can see that there's more than what is immediately apparent. When your friends make fun of you at lunch because you want to pray over your meal, you praise God that you bear that name. Whenever everybody else is going to go to the bootylicious bunny barn on Friday night, and you say, no, no, I'm not going to do that, and they say, why not? Come on, you're one of the guys. Let's go and do it. You say, no, no, no. Why aren't you going? Well, I'm going to get married one day, and I want to honor my future wife today. <laughs> what are you, nuts? How's looking at a little you know right now going to affect your future wife that you don't even know? And you say, no, I'm going to honor my God. I'm going to keep my mind pure, and I'm going to treat women respectfully. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for that. Praise God, gentlemen, when you're persecuted because you don't treat women as sex objects, but you honor them and treat them as children of God. Blessed are you when people make fun of you because you walk away from a business deal that was profitable, but you realized it was unethical. And everybody says, but in our business, everybody fudges, but you don't. And they make fun of you and they laugh at you, and they mock you because you could have made a lot of money. And you stand up and you say, no, I made a covenant with God, and I'm going to do what's right. I believe that my God will take care of me, bless me, and even if he doesn't, I will do what's right today. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness. For yours is the kingdom of God. It does something inside of you. Some of you right now, you feel like you, you, you must be doing something wrong because with, you've got all this opposition around you. Someone might even say to you, hey, how's that God thing going for you right now when all hell's breaking loose in your life? May I remind you that the things may be going wrong not because you're doing something wrong, but because you're doing something right. And there's a spiritual battle, and it's very, very real. And it's not going to stop us. It's going to motivate us to reach more people, to set more people free. The need is greater than we can see at first. So here's the deal. Don't ever worry when your family's being persecuted for righteousness. The only time you worry is when you're not ever being persecuted at all. Because if you're not being persecuted at all or ever... Let me just say it as lovingly as I can. You might just be a Christian family in name only. What are we about? 
We're about Jesus. We're about his kingdom. We're about his purpose. We're about his glory, his mission in making a difference in this world. And that means at times we're going to have to appear different than this world. And when they say, yeah, you can't still believe that because times have changed. No one thinks like that anymore. It's time to update a little bit, don't you think? We don't update what we believe because it's inconvenient for somebody else. We don't choose what we believe. We are told, we are given a gift that says this is the way, the path to life. And you need to know that when you're about him, you will be persecuted. There will be awkward situations that arise. So don't worry when you are. Worry when you're not. If everything goes okay and there's no spiritual opposition, maybe you're walking the same way as the devil. Because when you're walking toward God, there will be spiritual opposition. He doesn't want you to get closer to God. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And you're not going to settle for just being a blend-in, average, cultural Christian family. God has called you to something more. We are Christ-centered in all that we do because we are created for His glory. God bless this home, that this home could make a difference eternally for His name. Pray with me. And now, God, we ask that Your Spirit would minister to Your church, that we would be Christ-centered in all that we do. We would long for Your presence more and more. And so there are those of you that are very serious about your faith, and yet you recognize that there is room for even more. You say, I, I, I want to be an even better spiritual leader in my family. I want to be a better mom to my children. I want to be a better witness to my friends. I want to be even more Christ-centered in the way that I live. I don't want to live in the fear of scarcity. I want to live in the joy of generosity. Wherever you are in your spiritual intensity score, if you sense that God is convicting you now, if you're sensing that He is calling you to more, that, that, that you want to be even more Christ-centered in the way that you live, by faith, would you respond to the Holy Spirit today? Don't ignore Him. Just ask, what do you have for me, Holy Spirit? Here I am. I'll go. Just lead me forward. And do your work in and through me. God, I pray that, that even now you would lead our minds to be conformed to the image of Christ. That God, you would influence those around us. And God, I pray for those who might be the only Christian in their family. God, that you would give them favor and wisdom as to how to share your love. God, for the homes that are Christian in, in name only. God, I pray that you would cause one or two, or, or all, to rise up and to lead others to a higher calling, a divine purpose, a mission to make a difference in this world for your glory. God, convict us to fall more in love with you. Empowered by your Spirit, 
directed by your word to lift up the name of Jesus, that he not be a part of our life, but he be the center of who we are and all that we do. Make us Christ-centered homes. And kind Father, for these before me today, for each family, I pray, I beg that you would bless these homes. Amen.